Good morning. My name is Michael Riley. This morning's our scripture reading is selected verses from Revelation 7, 9 through 17. Please follow along in your Bible or use the screens. I'm going to be reading from the New International Version. After this, I looked, and therefore before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The word of the Lord. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Is there anybody too young to know where that clip is from? How old is that movie? Is that older than The Matrix? The Matrix turned 20 this year. And A Few Good Men is prior, right? Yeah. Timeless, timeless. Um, it's, it's a little bit intimidating that that clip was showed because who can compete with a movie first? But second, uh, it's a little bit on the nose about the fact that uh, now I have to talk about the truth. Uh, and it's implied that I will every week. Uh, but I feel a little more pressure now. Oh, that's you all, by the way. I just took that picture. The kids up there. So good job. Uh, we're starting a new series uh, in the book of Revelation called Endgame. And today, I want to start by asking with Pontius Pilate the question, what is truth? I feel it feels especially relevant in our culture, in our day and age, to uh, ask this question, to wonder out loud together if there is even such a thing as truth. And if there is, does our culture allow for the expression of it? I remember uh, a, a preacher, a favorite preacher of mine, uh, he would say, you, if, you, if you believe that Christianity shouldn't be allowed to speak its truth because it claims to be exclusive truth, then that itself is an exclusive truth. And so there's no way to get rid of exclusive truth because any claim against it is itself an exclusive truth. So with that in mind, I want to ask the question, what is the relevance of Palm Sunday for you? I've been aware of Palm Sunday uh, in my memory for about 30 years, and uh, about 22 or 3 Palm Sunday sermons I've preached over my lifetime. Do you come to Palm Sunday because it's uh, just a Sunday, or is this sort of part of your Easter tradition? But does Palm Sunday in and of itself have any meaning or feeling for you? Jesus enters Jerusalem, and people who've only heard of him, they get to bear witness to this man maybe for the first time. And famously, you all know that they waved palm branches. That's what we were imitating today. 
Is that just a custom? Is that just a mindless imitation? Or is there meaning in it for you today? The palm branches, it signifies two things. Historically, it means goodness, implying that things are not that great or have not been that great, and victory, meaning that there has been a battle and it's been won, and that victory isn't celebrated in and of itself, but that victory represents the start of the reign of goodness. And so there's this idea that goodness is finally here. And that's what the palm branches signify. And the people knew that, and that's what it meant in their culture and time. So they picked up palm branches and they waved them. Why did you do it today? Why do we still hold on to this tradition today? Uh, We know that specifically, historically, on the surface, the people who lined the streets welcoming Jesus uh, into the city of Jerusalem, they were longing for political victory over the Roman government. They felt they were oppressed. There was a kind of dominion over their life that they did not want. They felt religious persecution was right there all the time. And they wanted to be free from it. They wanted the power to govern themselves. And that's what that meant for them. And they looked to Jesus as a kind of political warrior. What is Jesus for you today? What does Palm Sunday mean for you? As I thought about this, and as I was searching for my own relevance to Palm Sunday, I came across a thought that was far deeper and I think truer uh, uh, for me than I've ever realized before. And I think even the Israelites back then, even as they waved the palm branches, even as they, their minds were technically on political freedom, they were actually longing for something deeper and truer than they even realized. It's sort of like what the great theologian Jim Carrey once said. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. You know, you sort of have to get political victory to realize, oh, that wasn't it? Then what was I waving my palm branches for? You know, we all have these if-only thoughts, right? If only what? I can graduate from school. Okay, and then what? If only I can find somebody to love. Okay, and then what? If only I can find the job of my dreams. Okay, and then? And if only I can make money. And then? If only my kids. And then? If only I can retire. And then? What's at the end of the rainbow for you? You realize every, every end of rainbow you get to, that's not the end of the rainbow. What is it? What are you waving your palm branches for? It's not wealth. It's not fame, not power, not freedom, not adventure, not pleasure. Then what? And part of the lesson of life, I think, is learning that everything you've ever waved your palm branch for, every longing you've ever held in your heart, at its best, has been just an arrow pointing to something else. Oh, maybe it's over there. And then you get over there, and then there's an arrow. And then you follow that arrow, and then you go over there, and you think you see something. You see something, and it's just an arrow. And it's pointing somewhere else. It's all just tutors and placeholders. What are you and I 
really deeply, truly longing for? Why do we have longings at all? What, what are longings about? Longings themselves point to something else. What is it? And I think we cannot be at rest. We cannot be at peace. We will never, ever arrive until the onset of what the scriptures call truth. I think about our politics today, and it is angry. There is a lot of anger and rage in politics. Everybody is so easily upset. There is no more skin thickness anymore that allows us to even be in the same room and have intellectual debate. There is no more conversation space anymore. There is no exchange of ideas, just accusations and triggers. I think about social media. It's the same thing. People are just angry, policing each other, shaming each other. You know, once in a while, somebody will give themselves a soapbox and they say something political. I don't care. I know this is going to upset all my friends, but I'm so mad and here is why. And then the most cringy, worthy conversation unfolds before you on social media. Why is everyone so angry? Have you witnessed this rage in our culture? Have you noticed all the anxiety and fear that seems to lace every exchange that's out there? We live in a culture that's putting thoughts out there. And then we live in a culture that's policing every thought that's put out there. And then the police themselves are policed. And then we have to create these shelters, conversation spaces, where we're not allowed to say anything. But even though the intent of that space was to say something. They're called safe spaces. You know, we have to give trigger warnings. As a speaker, I'm reading that before I speak, I have to warn you, this might trigger you. It's literally the rule. I have to do this. Why do we do all of this, any of this? Sociologists are calling our current moment right now the age of rage. I learned this new word in the last couple of weeks. It's, it's fascinating. I didn't know this word existed. It's cleodynamics, C-L-I-O, dynamics, cleodynamics. It's the science of studying history with math. It's a combined discipline. And cleodynamics is real. You can look this up. And there's real scholars at work uh, in this field. And they tell us that if you apply an algorithm to history, what you see is that about every 50 years, our society gets really, really mad. We are technically in this mad stage right now, this age of rage. How many of you live on, uh, on Mercer Island? Let me see a show of hands. Okay, keep your hands up. How many of you live on Mercer Island and you're on next door Mercer Next door, Mercer. If you're asking, you don't know what that is. Okay, it's, it's a social platform that every neighborhood sort of has. Bellevue's got one and whatever. Everybody's got a next door thing going on. And it's where neighbors 
uh, once you prove your, you know, sort of residence in that town, you can sign up to be part of this community. And it's meant to be helpful to each other. It's a way, just like the name of the company implies, uh, a way to help neighbors be neighbors to each other. But in fact, given that it's, you know, this company has been given birth uh, in the age of rage, it's just a bunch of people that are angry at each other. And you get to have a megaphone into each other's ears about anything and everything. And so um, if you don't take it seriously, it's very entertaining. <laughs> and you can spend hours just reading about all the random things all your neighbors are really angry about. And once in a while, just, just this beautiful thing happens where somebody from our church shows up on my next-door neighbor feed. And thankfully, I've never run across an angry church person yet. <laughs> They're like offering free stuff and... <laughs> It's great. Why are people so angry? You know, my wife and I, we, we didn't choose to do this. It just happened like this where we take turns reading the news now. You know, it's like we can't handle it. And one of us is a sacrificial lamb. We'll read the news and the other one will say, so what happened today? It's like an addiction because I can't not look. I have to look. It's like a soap opera. I have to tune in for the next episode. It's so dramatic and interesting and angry. Everybody's so mad. We're just willing to go to blows over anything. Do you sense this in our culture? Do you feel the anxiety? All the megaphones. All the identity politics. What is going on? I think Clear Dynamics gives us a little bit of a clue. The reason anger, rage is cyclical, about every 50 years we get really mad because I think underneath all of it is this deep longing and crying out for the truth. See, every social media post you've ever seen is somebody in some way, maybe in an illegitimate way, of expressing some legitimate need for truth. Every time somebody is angry about politics, regardless of whether you agree or not, that person believes that they want the truth. They believe you can't handle the truth, but they have the truth. And you believe they can't handle the truth, but you have the truth. And so with Pilate, we are all asking, what is truth? And we're really, really mad about it. See, we live in an era where this longing is made plain to us. You read, you look, you hear, you watch, and you see underneath all of it a longing for the truth. I think that's really the engine that's driving all of the rage, all of the news, all of the politics. Underneath it all, there is some little child, some child of God going, I want the truth. I want to live in a land where truth reigns, where justice reigns. I want to wave my palm branch at something that's righteous, something that's good, something that should win. 
The week after Jesus entered Jerusalem, Jesus had an encounter uh, with a man named Pontius Pilate. As many of you know, John chapter 18, verse 37, gives us this account, this very brief interaction that they have. It says this, You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. The word truth uh, that Jesus and Pilate both use here in the Greek uh, is the Greek word aletheia. And aletheia is defined as unconcealed. I want you to think about that for a second. If I asked you to define truth, would you define it as unconcealed? What is truth? What's your best definition of truth? The Greek definition is unconcealed, and it really gets at the core of what truth is. Truth, by definition, implies that it just is what it is. Truth is reality itself. And we see this uh, as Pilate sort of responds to the definition of truth. Why does he wash his hands and why does he say, I find no basis to charge, it, uh, to charge this man? It's Pilate's way of detriangling himself from this drama that's playing out between Jesus and uh, his fellow Jews. And what he's saying is, if what Jesus is saying is true, then it will emerge and so I don't need to suppress it. I don't need to bolster it. All I have to do for truth to be revealed as truth is for me to just walk away. And that's what Pilate does. He's, Jesus says he is something. You say he is not. Well, let's find out. Let's all just walk away. All of us just wash our hands because if truth is just truth, if truth is just reality, then it will reveal itself, right? If you unconceal it, it will emerge. It is in the nature of truth to emerge. So here's a definition of truth. You ready? Truth is... No, that's it. That's a definition. Truth is... You know, when we wanted to know God's name, you know what he said? I is. I am, he said. But doesn't rhyme with truth is. <laughs> truth just is. It's real. There's one reality. And anything that seeks to conceal this truth or suppress this truth or obscure this truth, this is the world we live in, where truth is obscured, truth is hidden, truth is suppressed. We have conflicts of interest, agendas that's trying to keep down the truth. But the reality is truth will eventually win because truth doesn't require any work. It just is. It requires a lot of work to keep it suppressed. You have to exert energy, force to try and conceal it, obscure it, suppress it. 
But if you just leave truth alone, if you just walk away as Pilate did, then it will emerge. You look at the world all around you and you think, is this really truth? Is this what's going to happen? You know, you read the news. There's nothing new under the sun there. That's all happened before. It's been happening for thousands of years and it's going to keep happening forever. Or will it? See, if you are a Christian here, you believe that history is not just cyclical, but it's on an arc. That it's on a trajectory. And that somehow, with every age, there's an increasing revelation of truth. That because truth is, eventually truth will reign. Any force that's been working to suppress it or conceal it, it's going to fall away because it can't keep exerting energy. And one day the only thing left standing will be the truth. Luke chapter 19 verse 41 says this about Jesus during this week. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. So there's this kind of crying out on Jesus' part for the truth. He looks over at the city of Jerusalem, and there's so much human drama there. There's so much conflict, so much division, so much battling. And yet Jesus knows that we are on a trajectory and truth will eventually reign. And because of that, he's able to tap into this rage, this anger, this pain he feels inside, and he weeps. Look at this passage. I don't know if any of you have ever uh, been in the book of Revelation for Palm Sunday, but the connections to me are kind of mind-blowing to me as I was studying this. The first thing we see is that there is a great multitude. You know, Jesus had these Jews sort of lining up uh, for him. Probably a few thousand people, I, might, I would guess, lining up for him. But this is much greater than that. It's the great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing. And so we see this magnified version of what happened on Palm Sunday. And then second, we see that they were what? Holding what? Palm branches, just like on Palm Sunday. Except they weren't waving the palm branches for some distant hope or even some kind of political freedom. That wasn't their truth anymore. Truth has finally emerged. And the people of God, a great multitude, are waving finally finally waving palm branches for real, in truth. And then, of course, third, we have the lamb. You know, why is it a lamb? I thought it would be a lion. But it's a lamb because this is the way of the kingdom. Jesus, Jesus didn't ride in on a white horse. He rode in on a mule. And so we have the lamb. And notice what happens. This hunger, this thirst all gone, thirst quenched. It's this longing, the rage has finally been squelched. Finally, no more need for a pressure release valve. Next door neighbor can return to its intended glory. 
And God will wipe every tear away from their eyes. This is the emergence of truth, the onset of a final reality that was always meant to be. Truth is most simply what is, what is real, what is reality. And the definer of that is the Lamb himself, the, sitting on the throne, signifying the reign, finally, of truth. You know, you think about our culture today. You think about the things that you long for, that you are angry about. What are you really longing for? It's not about the small things. Underneath it, there's a bigger thing. And underneath that, there's, there's even a bigger thing. And I think all of us, we long for this truth. We long to see the lamb on the throne. We long to see the end of human drama as it has been playing out. Because all of that fighting, all of that anger is actually, they're just arrows pointing to the lamb himself. And so when you are reading the news and you are on social media, whatever your, your day is like, don't be angry at people who are angry. Don't judge the people who are raging in our culture, but rather see through it, see through it to the longing in their hearts for the lamb himself. I think these people who don't know Jesus by name, on some level, deep level, they are crying out for the truth. And if you are a Christian, it's your job to be an arrow pointing to Christ himself somehow. To not get caught up in the vortex that is out there. But to somehow be a lamb yourself. Be sacrificial yourself and point to Christ. Point to the truth, the way, and the life. We're all waving something. But if you are a Christian, you know what you are waving for and why. I think this is really what Palm Sunday is about. The wiping away of every tear. Why do you long? Why does hunger even exist? Why are we even thirsty? Why is that even a thing? Because we were meant for the truth. How do you know when something is a lie? Why does that splinter in your mind bother you so much? Because you were made for truth. I want to uh, end with application. I have two. Uh, number one, and uh, I want to invite you to just let me uh, do this one more time. Uh, I want to invite you to scrutinize your faith. Many of you in this room, maybe most of you are Christians. You claim to have a faith, a religion. You claim to be a holder of truth. You claim to know what reality is. If that's true, I want to invite you to scrutinize it, to really test it. And I've been on this kick lately, again, uh, of realizing how much help Religion is helped by scientific rigor. That there really should be no dichotomy between uh, the scientific mind and the religious heart. That the best religion is one that's maintained through scientific rigor. I think that's partly what Paul meant when he said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. Get into it. 
Test your doubts. Chase down your thoughts. What's really going on? Examine the difference between your beliefs and your life and see if it makes sense. The best science is pursued, I think, with religious zeal because science is just a pursuit of truth. Truthfulness will endure scrutiny and only increase in value and power. As Christians, I invite you to say no to fearful protectionism. Truth does not need your help. It will emerge. It stands on its own two legs. Science and faith have always been best friends. There's this quote I came across this week. It's so good. It just says it so well. Christians have this sense of awe of God the creator, the fact that God created an ordered universe that could be understood. That's why Christianity has been the cradle of so many scientists in the past because of this opportunity through science to worship a God of order and not of disorder. Peter Berger, a scientist, he says this, Although religious belief is indeed a cognitive projection, what is projected is, however, itself a reflection and imitation of ultimate reality. As a, as a believer, I acknowledge that my belief is a cognitive projection. But I know that this cognitive projection is a reflection of an ultimate reality. My projection itself is not reality but it is reflective of ultimate reality. You understand? The fact that I have a longing for the truth itself points to the fact that I was meant for the truth. The fact that I have hunger proves that I was meant to eat. The fact that I have thirst proves that I was meant to drink. The fact that I have tears proves that I was meant to have them wiped away. My longing for truth, my religious belief itself is pointing to something beyond. Proverbs 25.2 says this, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. There is a way that God, who is truth, takes delight in concealing bits of himself so that we would pursue him, so that we would seek him with all our hearts and we find him, we would experience and know the great reward that he is. Second uh, application is I want to invite you to consider joining a small group if you haven't done so already. Because small groups are meant to be a place where your lies and your partial truths and your lazy faith can be tested. Raise your hand if you don't believe any lies. Raise your hand if you believe no partial truths. Raise your hand if you have no lazy faith. That's part of your faith. We all have these. Where? Who? Who else gets access to this? Small groups is a huge part of that. And, and it's safe that they're not going to kick you out because they're all just like you. And so uh, if you look in your bulletins, there's a card that looks just like this. Fill this out and put that in the basket on your way out and consider joining a small group 
sociologists tell us that we need small, medium, and large groups in our life. Do you love truth? Do you believe that you have the truth? Let's end with this verse. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice. Friends, our society, you, we are crying out in a loud voice for the emergence and the presence and the reign of truth. And through Palm Sunday, we ask for it deliberately. In Jesus' name. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this day, Palm Sunday, that represents this longing for the truth. We long for truth that we don't even know we long for. That's how deep this longing goes. That's how basic and primal this longing is. We long to be reunited with you. We long to be reconciled with one another. We long for lies to be torn down. We long for justice to reign. We, lo we long for love to be the rule of the land. And only Jesus with you on the throne can these things happen. We cannot do it on our own. History has proven this. So God, you are our hope. And we look to you together in Jesus' name.